From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour. Indeed, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're glad to welcome in Rabbi Seth Castleman, who is the director of the Exodus Project, one of the the great projects uh, of the Diocese of Sacramento and the uh, St. Vincent de Paul Society. Rabbi, good day to you. Good day to you, Bob. Always wonderful to be with you. Good, good, to, good to hear your voice, as always. Uh, uh, as we move on into the summer, uh, tell us, for, for those who are, are new listeners or maybe have not uh, tuned in when you were on before, give us a thumbnail of the, of the Exodus Project, uh, sort of the, the genesis of it. Of course. So Exodus Project came out of the vision and generosity of Bishop Soto uh, over the last five or ten, uh, ten years now. The, the diocese has been doing more and more prison ministry, jail ministry, inside prisons and jails throughout the 21 counties in the diocese for the 25 to 30,000 people that are incarcerated on any given day. But what was coming to be more and more clear was that in some ways the most important moment was when people got released. And of course, 95% of them are coming home to their communities, to our communities, and creating a re-entry plan is essential, having the support network uh, for people coming back. So we put together a working group um, that worked for about two years to, to envision and to plan out Exodus Project, and we're now in our fifth year of implementation. Uh, we are part of St. Vincent de Paul, and we offer one-on-one mentoring. We match men with men and women with women to mentor people in incarceration and coming home for six months. We offer uh, counseling, a lot of employment services, helping people get jobs, clothing, transportation, emergency and transitional housing. Um, so it's a wraparound support service, some spiritual counseling. Uh, we're just starting to add centering prayer to our programs. And You're adding what, what to your program? I'm sorry. Centering prayer. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. The Catholic mindfulness practice. Right. We're just starting to to add that as another program. And we work with an interfaith project. Uh, so we work with people of all faith, people of no faith, me of little faith. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's rooted in the, in the social teachings of, of Catholicism. So go back to the working group. Uh, tell us what, you know, what, how you formed this? Were there anything to base this on? How, how did you, you know, sort of put together the program? Right. So we looked at a lot of other programs around the country and around the area that were doing similar work. Uh, we decided on mentoring as sort of the, the foundational piece um, and started off ostensibly as a mentoring program. And then once we put it into practice, we started to realize pretty quickly that to offer the spiritual and the accompaniment without the practical that people needed, without the shelter, without the food, without the job, was a little hollow. And so we quickly built around it, uh, around the mentoring, the other components. But the, the visioning went for a couple of years of bringing in outside experts, of bringing myself and others from the area who had done reentry and prison ministry work in the past, 
And there was a group of about 10 of us that worked pretty hard for a couple of years to, um, to bring it into fruition. And how, how did you approach uh, Department of Corrections with this or the, you know, the county sheriffs or whatever, you know, county supervisors, whatever was necessary? How did, how did you make that approach? How did that work? Right. So we mostly met with county sheriff's department, jail officials, and they were very open to it and were interested. And we go into the county jails. We've done some uh, liaising with, with CDCR. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state um, prison system, but we worked with them less at this point um, and sort of decided to focus on the jail population, right. which is definitely a harder population to work with. The more p- time someone's done, the more likely they are to have turned their life around, and the people coming out of county are often still caught in addiction and mental illness and poverty. Oh, that's, and that's interesting. I think, I think a lot of us would have thought it was the other way around. But right. that, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Now that they're letting some people out that had life sentences without chance of parole, the recidivism rate, the return rate for those guys is under 1%. Wow. Uh, because they, the ones that get out are really the ones that are doing well. And when you've done that much time, you really have often made a significant change. Mm-hmm. But if you're just going into county jail for two weeks, two months, a year, two years, you're often still, as soon as you get back out again, still in the same crowd, still in the same behaviors, still in the same struggles. Are, are most of those people the, the latter uh, uh, mm-hmm. felonies, or, or are, we, are we, you know, incarcerating people for misdemeanors? Both and. We mostly work with people coming out with felonies, but mm-hmm. people are going to jail sometimes for misdemeanors as well. Um, or sometimes they get charged with a felony and then their public defender or their defense lawyer argues it down to, mm-hmm. a, to a misdemeanor. Um, there's a lot that's sort of on the, on the line there that could go either way. Mm-hmm. And so the, in terms of this being a, uh, a program sponsored by the Catholic Church, how does how does that you know the separation whatever you want to call it separation of church mm-hmm. and state etc. How has that all worked into the uh, the working with uh, a pub- public agencies uh, such as the county right. sheriffs? Right. No, that's a, that's an excellent question. And Catholic charities in Saint Vincent de Paul, throughout the area, throughout the state, throughout the country, also do contracts with agencies like this and do this work. Where we I like to say we're spiritually inspired but we're providing uh, a social service. Right. So if, if, in other words, if, yeah, if the government had a, a food program or something, uh, uh, various nonprofits can apply to, uh, for the funds, uh, including exactly. those that are religious-based. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And we're very clear that we don't proselytize, but I also think that finding a faith community upon your return from incarceration is a really essential and can be an essential component, and we're happy to match people up with parishes, churches, synagogues, mosques, temples, whatever their their own faith tradition is. Um, and that's part of the work that we do is helping people find the faith community. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, you, you want, uh, whether you're talking about people putting down roots or reestablishing roots or whatever word you want to use, mm-hmm. um, there's there's family, there's job, it's there's community, there's social services, and there's faith. Yeah, 
Those are all, yeah. all components. Absolutely. And often there's very little when they come back. They've right. burned a lot of bridges with family, with friends, with faith communities. So helping them rebuild with a mentor, helping them rebuild with some services, helping them reestablish a new uh, social group that's not caught up in the same activities that was leading them down uh, bad roads in the past is part of what we do. So maybe you have the answer to this, maybe you don't. Somebody that's not in your program, somebody that served a couple of years in county jail for, I don't know, car theft or something, uh, okay. gets out. Is he just shown the door and uh, does he have money in his pocket? Does he or she? Uh, is, there, is there any uh, sort of exit program or is he just out there on the street? That's a great question. Hitchhiking. There's a, there's a bit of an exit program if you're coming out of state prison. You'll get two or $300 in gate money, and they might even put you in a housing program. Mm -hmm. um, coming out of county jail, there's really little or nothing. Um, you know, some of the probation officers are sincerely helpful in trying to help people get back on track uh, and will go the extra mile to assist. Some of them won't. You know, it just depends on the on the specific um, probation officer. There are some reentry courts where people will get out of incarceration and then need to do drug testing and need to uh, find a job, and there's some support through those. But by and large, coming out of county jail, it's really just uh, see you later, good luck. And unfortunately, still a large proportion of the of the releases are in the middle of the night. So you can imagine really? showing up. Wow. Downtown uh, Sacramento at midnight, and who's going to pick you up at that hour? And your phone's not charged, and if you have a phone that's still active, it's, it's dead, and maybe you still have a little bit of cash, maybe you don't. Maybe they lost your wallet, and you've got to go find it in the morning when the, when the uh, office at the Sheriff's Department opens. You know, there are a lot of barriers. Um, there's a lot of barriers. Why the middle of the night? You know, I've heard different reasons, and we've had conversations with the Sheriff's Department that some of it has to do with um, just scheduling and when they can schedule releases. I've heard more um, cynical uh, reasons that they get paid for an extra day if the person's there after midnight. Mm. Uh, I don't honestly really know. Um, it doesn't seem like a good system, though, for anybody. Yeah, so the guy that uh, helped you steal the car that got you in jail in the first place is going to pick you up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or your old drugging and thugging buddies are the ones that you're that you're able to call at two a.m. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It just wow. it just sounds like. I mean, you know, people say, "Well, recidivism—that's their own fault." Well, you know, these people are going to be walking. You know, no, no matter where your politics or whatever it is uh, that drives how you feel about this. They're going to be walking among us. Like, what, 98% yeah. yeah. of the people currently incarcerated exactly. aren't under life sentence home. without possibility yeah. of parole. They're yeah. going to be walking among us. Uh, yeah. don't, we, don't we want them to be, whether they're productive citizens, uh, at least we don't want them to be dangerous citizens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the businesses downtown are aggrieved about it, too. They don't like it all. The people coming out, you know, in the middle of the night and then just sort of wandering around the streets of downtown. Sure. Um, well, see, yeah. I, and I, I know, though, uh, 
I mean, the motivation for the Exodus Project and, and, and programs like it isn't just public safety, isn't just to cut down on it. It's really to help that person. Correct, correct. I've always had a, a spot in my heart for the incarcerated since I was about five years old, mm-hmm. and my dad read me uh, Soledad Brothers and wow. uh, as a bedtime story yeah. when I was five or six, and uh, just always felt like this was an oppressed population that, you know, the, the intersection of poverty, mental illness, addiction, racism, that all sort of entangle and twine, braid together to, to lead to incarceration. Uh, there's a lot society could do better in prevention and in treatment and help and support once people come out the other side. Yeah, you know, if you, if you, if you took away uh, mental illness, poverty, drug addiction, uh, your crime rate would be a tenth of what it is. Yes, yes, absolutely. You might, you might have a fair amount of white-collar crime still because <laughs> some of those people are just straight-out greedy, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. For, for, for a lot of other people, you know, they're trying to feed a habit. They're, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, some of the crimes you see that are committed where somebody wanted, what, 20 bucks for a fix or something are, are just horrendous, yeah. you know. And related to that, one of the things that I realized early on some 20 years ago when I first started, 30 years ago when I first started going into prisons and jails, that the core, the core emotional urge that leads to these crimes is not inherently different from the urges that you and I have. Mm-hmm. And I very quickly saw that nobody was in there for doing something that I, on some level, hadn't had the urge to do, mm-hmm. to hurt somebody, to take something that wasn't theirs, um, to, to use something to escape from, from their pain. Right. Uh, some of the, I like to say, some of the embezzlement schemes I'm not smart enough to come up with. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but on a core human level, we're all really the same. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, not not ever having uh, uh, used drugs. I mean, drugs that you know, illegal drugs, um, right? Or felt a need for them. I I can imagine though. I mean, you know, you hear so many people get addicted uh, because of chronic pain. You know, and. And I suppose if you're a person of means and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you can be addicted, you're not going to become a criminal because you can still pay for your habit. But right. uh, if you're right. a rung or two down, uh, you get pretty yep. desperate. Yeah. And it's not just the physical pain. It's the trauma and the emotional pain that sure. people are escaping from as well. Sure. And, and then as, as you become more and more addicted, uh, Friends drop off, family members uh, throw their yep. hands up in the air, and uh, you don't really have very many places to turn. Yeah, yeah. And the drugs really transform your brain yep. to the point where getting the next fix is a higher priority than getting food, than getting shelter, than taking care of your kids. And it's just uh, it's, uh, it's a physiological 
event that happens in the brain, not to excuse it. I don't think we should be just sort of saying, well, it's all a disease and, right. and therefore right. there's no responsibility. But to understand the significance of what happens, I think is important because adding shame and blame doesn't help while also excusing it and writing people off as, oh, they're just sick. I don't think that helps either. I think there's a, I think there's a middle path to working with addiction. Yeah. So the, you say, you say, you know, you started more with emphasis on, on the mentoring program and then mm-hmm. realized that uh, jobs, housing, et cetera, was also r- real important components. So mm-hmm. presumably you had to really expand your focus and, and even your staffing and everything else. Exactly, exactly. We're now a staff of seven. We're about to hire our eighth person. We have about 40 volunteer mentors. Uh, but we have an employment specialist, we have a social work counselor, um, we have caseworkers that pick people up at the jail in our van and bring them back to our office and help them out in all sorts of ways. And we actually, starting June 8th, uh, we have our next uh, mentor training. We do an 18-hour training for anywhere between 5 and 25 people at a time uh, to train them to become mentors. And uh, after the training... It's uh, about an eight-hour-a-month commitment is what we ask for, for a minimum of a year uh, to be matched, again, women with women and men with men, one-on-one with somebody who we think would be a good fit for you. And if people are interested in becoming a mentor, they can go to our website, which is exodus-project.org. It's also the same place they can go if they are interested in donating financially to the organization, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. Exodus, and then a dash, and then project.org, or they can call us directly at 916-669-0611. Do, do you, uh, in terms of how you fund yourself, uh, mm-hmm. how much of it is is donations, how much of it is fundraisers, how much of it is uh, grants of right. uh, of some sort or another? The majority at this point is grants and contracts. We mm-hmm. have contracts with the Public Defender of Sacramento. We have a contract with probation. We have a grant from the state of California. Um, and then we do a fair amount of fundraising and individual donors, and the diocese is still very generous with us as well. So it's, it's sort of all of the above. Um, yeah, and the, the benefit of having the, the donors um, is also that it's unrestricted, that we're able to help in ways that, you know, that sometimes the contracts don't allow right. uh, or they're very strict about what, what they can offer. But we get somebody who comes in that doesn't fall into one of our programs and needs a hotel, and it just came out after a woman coming out after 20 years and doesn't want to be sleeping on the street. And, you know, we want to give her a hotel until we can find her transitional housing. And with the, with the donors, we're able to, to use that funding to sort of fill in the gaps. You see very often that, I, I read it all the time, that jobs are going begging for, for, for some reason. Yes. You know, that they're, they're just, uh, that uh, many, many different, whether it's a, a business or, or various organizations, just can't keep jobs filled. Has that helped you find jobs for people? 
That certainly has. Employment over the last few years has been very uh, robust. Housing, on the other hand, has been getting tighter and tighter. Yep. So finding potential housing. And if they're applying for an apartment and there are 20 applicants and you're the one with the criminal record, yep. you're not going to get the apartment, no matter how much money you make. Or, right. Um, so that's, that's the tricky side. But employment has been, has been more, uh, more significant out there these days. Yeah, just <laughs> having uh, four kids in college, um, some of whom are, you know, not in the dorms, but in, in you know, out in the community, getting their own place mm-hmm. to live. Um, I've seen how difficult that is. And, you know, first and last months uh, rent and, and yes. giant, I mean, giant security deposits and... Yeah, uh, and you think how do, how does how does anybody and and they don't have records. They all have jobs, but exactly. they're part time jobs. Exactly. Uh, it, it's it's mind boggling to think of somebody trying to get into that that has a record. Yeah, yeah, it is very hard. It is very hard. Uh, and we had four transitional houses we were running, and there were some issues with the county and the organization that we were running them with, and so. Unfortunately, those are in the process of closing down, and we're trying to find some additional funding to reopen some transition. Um, but even when we have the transitional houses where people can stay for three to six months, it's then always the question of where do they go after that. Right. And whether it's a room and board, whether it's staying with family, whether they're able to, to find a room for rent or an apartment, um, yeah, we help in all those ways. With transitional housing, and, and I've seen it, and we hear this with uh, the various group homes uh, for various reasons, uh, everybody's in favor but not in my neighborhood. Exactly, yes, yes. Ours are not uh, zoned because we only have four or five residents, and mm-hmm. the way that they're set up, it's not a recovery, it's not a, recovery house so we don't have to actually get it zoned Mm -hmm. and we put them in neighborhoods so they're living in a nice neighborhood there you know it's just another suburban house but the neighbors are sometimes a bit disgruntled until we usually don't have any issues and they see that we're we're decent neighbors and people are mowing the lawn and taking care of business and um, doing their own thing are are you able yet to show the fruits of your labor the statistics are hard to come by because we hear from the ones that are doing well, and then there's a lot that we just don't hear from, and their phones are disconnected, and we don't know if they're reincarcerated or just mm-hmm. moved on or just got a new phone. Um, so we see our fruits of our labor uh, anecdotally and with the, with the lives of hundreds of people that we've worked with, but unfortunately we don't yet have uh, hard and fast statistics on the percentage of people that came through our program that uh, how they're doing and we're still working on how to how to ascertain that yeah and, and sometimes I mean uh, uh, it's always it's always nice to see that what you're doing is working um, mm-hmm. but it's also it, it's it's good it's good to know well what what part of this maybe isn't working or what, yep. you know, where are we putting too much emphasis and not enough em- emphasis somewhere else? Or maybe there's something we missed altogether that that yep. the data would show us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have a board and we have an advisory council, both of which sort of 
oversee that with me and help to assess. But having more data would definitely be be a plus. If if you had more mentors or more staff, would would there be more people that are incarcerated that want to be in par- part of your program, or is part of the issue how many people want to want to be a part of it? Talk if you would a right. little bit about from the the person who's incarcerated and about to get out or just out. Uh, how do they get involved in the program? Yeah, we we do some presentations in the jails. There are flyers up in the jails. Word is out in the units and on the street. So it's mostly self-referral, and people and also people call me all the time from the jail, call collect, and they can get an application in the jail, and then they the the officers send it in to me, the sheriff's deputy send it in to me, and I then go in and visit them inside. Um, we do try to make it a voluntary, self-motivated program that we can't do it for you, so forcing you into it's probably not going to help. And especially for the mentoring, I really want people that are motivated and committed. Um, but I'll go in and then match people up and then bring the mentor in with me into the jail and have them start visiting the, the individual while they're still incarcerated. Uh, but we also get lots of people that just walk in off the street and ring our doorbell and come up to our offices, and we help them that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're primarily a, a voluntary uh, program. So when you, when, do you make presentations in the prison, uh, sort of for a, for a group, and say, hey, if this is what we have to offer you? Or how, how do you make that connection? Exactly, exactly. I used to, I don't do it so much anymore because most people in the jails know about it already, mm-hmm. but I used to go in every couple of months and give 10-minute pitches in each of the, the cell units mm-hmm. um, as a way of letting people know about it and then handing out applications. Yeah. So if, if there were, were one thing, Seth, that, that would, <laughs> I don't mean make your job easier, make it more successful, make it, like, like what's your wish list? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, we're trying to get transitional houses back up and running again. Mm-hmm. That's my big, that's my big wish. Uh, we were running them with SAC self-help housing and then they went under. Um, and, uh, so the, the houses are, are closing, um, but I would love to have some transitional houses again, or at least one, um, or one for men and one for women. It, is, is that something uh, somebody listening can help with if somebody has a rental home, or how, how would that work? Absolutely. Uh, it could help through donations. It could help if somebody had a rental home they wanted to lease to us. Um, yeah. If there are county officials listening, they could definitely step up. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. Very good. It, again, uh, before you go, uh, let let us know about uh, how people can sign up for the uh, sure. the mentor training. So, for mentoring or for donations, you can go to exodus-project.org. Um, it's also on the diocese website. Right. Um, Exodus.org right. for Exodus Project. Right. Yep. And then our phone number is 916-669-0611. Very good. Well, Rabbi Seth Kasselman, uh, you're doing the Lord's work out there in the vineyard for sure. Uh, greatly appreciate Thank all you, you do, and uh, we look forward to our paths crossing again real soon. 
God bless you. Hey, God Take bless you care. too. Thanks so much. That's uh, Rabbi Seth Castleman, the uh, director of the Exodus Project, and uh, and that part of uh, part and parcel with uh, the Diocese of Sacramento, and also with uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society here in the Diocese of Sacramento. And, uh, you know, if you, if you feel that you could help uh, the training, it's, it's 18 hours of training. It's not all on the same day. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's, you know, it's intensive training because, and, and obviously if, if you were going to be a part of a program like this, you would want, uh, Gabe, if you and I were, were going to be part of this program, you'd want intensive training. You want, you want to know what the, the do's and the don'ts and what works and what doesn't and uh, what, what exactly your role is. And then uh, a commitment of maybe around eight hours a month. Uh, not, a, not a huge time commitment, but can, can certainly be a, a time commitment for people um, for a year and, uh, and a chance to really help somebody uh, get back on their feet. We'll take a quick break. Back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at the thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the, the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrusites. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. Hello, this is Moises de Leon from the Office of Family and Respect Life. You're listening to Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunnan. Thank you, Moises, for that wonderful introduction for all the great work you do here in the Diocese of Sacramento. Well, Blake Young uh, joins us now, the president and CEO of the Sacramento Food Bank. Uh, Blake, good day to you. Good day to you, Bob. I, I always like to hear your voice because it's always uh, uplifting. You always <laughs> ins you always inspire me. Well, th well, thank you. We got a lot. We got a lot to be inspired uh, about here, for sure. Did you did, have you ever added up? 
in all the years you've been with Sacramento Food Bank, how many meals you've served? <laughs> no, no, I have not. No, we'll, we'll, whatever the number is, we'll multiply it times 26 years. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm wow. very proud of that. Wow, you started in kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. you bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Father Madigan. Talking about debt ceilings and stuff. Does does yeah. that kind of thing? Does that have, is is that something you have to watch because you know you you, uh, you 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 hear the talks about the debt ceiling or whatever the economy going on and then the price of oil goes down and the stock market goes this way and those things you have to evaluate in terms of what your need is going to be. Well, it's really tough to predict, obviously. But yeah. I mean, you know, what you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is is that, you know, uh, seniors and young families uh, that depend on sort of benefit program, uh, it may be even temporary. Right. Uh, that right. might have a, uh, a loss of that um, for some time, obviously, is going to increase demand. And then I think, you know, the economy plays a huge role in our, our donors' ability, particularly people that are retired, mm-hmm. uh, either on a fixed income or have or have some sort of income um, that donate uh, for the cause. So, um, and then obviously cost of goods. Um, so uh, yeah, the economy affects us greatly. You know, it's kind of interesting. You know, in a bad economy, uh, the demand goes up, but the ability to give, right, because right. of the economy. Right. In a great in a great economy. Um, you know, that, that obviously is a better scenario because more people are at work, more people can afford things, people can afford to donate, um, you know, cost of goods, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, mediated there. And, and so, um, it's never, but, but what I found is, you know, let's take today, for example, um, you know, for some people, the economy is fairly strong, um, cost of goods are higher. Um, but uh, a lot of folks don't don't know that right now we're we have last month was our third highest month ever. In the last six months, we have been feeding folks at at the middle of the pandemic level. Wow! So that that tells you that you know uh, times, particularly in Northern California, Sacramento, cost cost of living, et cetera, exceeds people's ability to put food on the table. I mean, we literally have fed more people in the last six months than we've ever fed in our life, including the pandemic. Hmm. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it, it's difficult. I think people, people are having a very challenging time being able to afford everything that's necessary for, for themselves and their families. Well, I, I mean, I've really noticed um, whether, whether you're shopping at a, a, a conventional grocery store, you know, like a, a uh, a Rayleigh's or a Nugget or a Safeway or, or whatever, or you're shopping at a Costco or a, a, a Sam's Club, um, the prices have really gone up. They have, and I'll tell you, And remember, we you know most regional food banks our size throughout the country buy a portion of their food, so we're we're and of course fuel is more expensive for our trucks. You know, right. We. We drive big refrigerated trucks. We have big semis. Um, uh, but but for, for folks that, you know, are on the margins that don't have a savings account that are raising kids or a senior on a fixed income, I mean, this is really challenging times. Um, I'm very proud that because of folks like you and our supporters and, you know, 
uh, we're able right now to meet the need. Again, you and I talked about it last time. In terms of sustainability, how long uh, we can do that, you know, is, is still being evaluated. I mean, just to put it in perspective, and we've talked about this, before the pandemic, we were, we were supplying food to about 150,000 people a month. Now we're over 300,000. That's, that's just mind-boggling. Yeah, and it's pretty consistent. Wow. If you were a, if you were a business, you guys would be, you'd be in Fat City, huh? You got twice as many customers, but uh, that's not that's not how your your uh, organization works um, because you're giving it away. Yeah, and, and and our donors are supporting that effort, and yep. so I mean we are we are ext- and our volunteers. I mean, you know, God bless our volunteers. Without you know, to feed three hundred thousand people, we couldn't hire enough people to do that. Yeah, right. So, right. So to to have the cadre of volunteers who you know come out every 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 day, every week, every month, every year to help us out is we're just so blessed. And then the the donors that provide financial uh, uh, gifts is uh, you know it's strong. I mean, so you know, but but how long can people? And our organization sustain that type of number. I mean, we're trying to, you know, we're, we're evaluating it. It's a significant increase. Well, you know, I've always felt, you know, you say, you know, when the economy's good, uh, yeah, there's there's more donors, and that's, uh, you know, or more they've got they're more to, to donate, and that's that's great. It, you see, the people on the on the margins seem to get hammered. No matter both ways, you know, when when things are bad, it's pretty obvious, you know, they're unemployed and and uh, there aren't jobs. But when things are are good, frequently it, they're right on the margin. Their 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 rent on their apartment or their home just went up ten percent, or you right. know, the price of gas went up astronomically. All those things that uh, even as the economy's humming. Uh, everybody's saying, "Yeah, well, I, I'm a, I'm a landlord or whatever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise the rent." Um, that really hurt the, the poor. Get hit both, both, both ways. Whether the economy's good or bad. Yeah, and a good economy, unfortunately, in in our world, you know, that the, the, the wages aren't commensurate with the, the, the economy's health. So, yeah. unfortunately, we have a lot of a lot of folks that, you know, that they are they are working. We have people in two households that both of them are working, they're raising kids, they still can't quite make it. Right. And so, you know, we take a lot of pride in, A, the way we serve people, uh, but B, the quality of food that we're providing is, 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 is highly nutritious and very significant. So, and again, thanks to our volunteers and donors, we're able to do that. But, you know, the, 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 we take great pride in the nutritious value of our food. A lot of folks don't know over 40% of the food that we distribute is fresh fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's um, really become part of your, your, your whole experience there is, is nutrition as much as uh, obviously when people are hungry, you, you want to give them something that's going to fill them up and, and, you know, just satisfy that craving for food that we all, all have at all times. But you have really put the emphasis on nutrition. Well, a lot of people, again, I, I think there's a misconception, you know, oh, fruits and vegetables. No, it's our number one, it's our number one requested item. Hmm. Guess what number two is, Bob? Oh, wow. <laughs> if it was me, it'd be ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's eggs. 
Oh, wow. Because there's just so much application for oh, eggs, right? There's absolutely. so many ways you can use them. Yeah. Um, and, they're, and they're a good source of protein. So yeah. and so we're able to supply those, too. We, we work with several California farms for that. So, uh, but, but produce is number one, and, and people go gaga over it. And, you know, quite frankly, I think, I don't think, you know, the average person understands how expensive produce has gotten. So it's, uh, it's significant. You know, a family of four comes to one of our distributions or one of our partner agencies that we, we supply food to, they'll, they'll walk away with, you know, $80, $120 worth of groceries. Well, that's very significant, particularly when you're trying to raise a family and, you know, you have to buy those football cleats or you have yep. to buy a prom dress. I mean, those aren't, those are, those aren't insignificant expenses. And, it, you know, it, we like to we like to think that it, it, it helps folks be able to do that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it. it I, I remember in in the old days, you you know, you you go out for a burger or something, and you say, oh, they just they just make it look big because they're they're putting all that lettuce and tomato and stuff on there, <laughs> you know, like that was all free. And 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 there was a day when it was a lot cheaper. Now that that tomato's costing as much as the ground beef is, you know. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and everything. I mean, everything has gotten significantly higher. So, I mean, I, you know, a lot of a lot of folks that we serve can't afford to go out to dinner. Period. I mean, you know, so uh, you know, as, as much as we can add to the nutritional value of what they're eating, I mean, we, we you know, food is medicine. So, if, you know, especially for young folks and, and seniors. I mean, if we can really bump up. Uh, the nutritional quality of the food that we're supplying, we feel that, you know, it, it's going to make for a healthier person. So with, with fruits and vegetables, does it help uh, in terms of what it costs you that that we are in, you know, the breadbasket of the world? Or, or do those prices kind of stabilize nationwide? I mean, is it, e- is it easier to give fruits and vegetables in, in Sacramento than it would be, say, in Nebraska or North Dakota or something? That's a great question, and yes. So, so the, the entire country, uh, the entire food bank country is, or maybe I should say the entire country with all the food banks are very jealous of California. Uh-huh. And, we, and we have a unique, we, we, so we are part of the California Association of Food Banks. There's 41 food banks, and we're lucky in that not only do we have a significant amount of produce grown here, I mean, we grow the world's produce. However, we cooperatively buy, you and I talked about this, mm-hmm. the, on the fruit side, and I'm definitely going to say potatoes, carrots, and onions. Now, there's a reason for that, mm-hmm. obviously. So potatoes, carrots, and onions you can you can use in a variety of ways from soups to, you know, you, you know potatoes, to right. carrots, onions, you put almost everything people go gaga over that and then we have then we have you know specialty what i would consider specialty items so those are probably the the four the five or six most prominent and then it depends on the you know weather uh, we're coming up to stone fruit in july right we'll have a ton of stone fruit well you know later on we'll have watermelon i'm not we're not going to go buy raspberries and bok choy it, right. it, it, it's right. just too expensive and People, you know, we through surveys that we've conducted over the years, they want the seven or eight staples, and that's mm-hmm. pretty much oranges and apples. Uh, it's pretty much uh, potatoes, onions, carrots, and and you you and I could probably figure out the leafy greens and probably a couple others. Um, so California, but but you're, to your point, we you name it, we distribute it, and um, and if we weren't in California, the import the cost to get it here would be 
would be way it would way exceed our abilities. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> it's odd. Potatoes, onions, and carrots—they all grow in the ground. <laughs> it's, right, 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 and they're plentiful in California. Yeah, and very that, much that, so. Th- and those root vegetables are, are you know, you can, I mean, you can, you can, I mean, most dishes take that and, uh, and, you know, they, they're highly nutritious. So, uh, but gosh, we have, I mean, just the other day, uh, you know, you come into our dock, you, you wouldn't believe that how much lovely produce. I mean, we give away broccoli and, and cauliflower and mm-hmm. all the leafy greens and, you know, the tomatoes. And so we're just super blessed to be in California. No question. Absolutely. You know, I, I, and my, uh, son who's a senior in high school spent uh, his spring break in Uganda working at, right. working in an orphanage and and my, my my first question to him was what was the food like you know and he said a lot of root vegetables yeah you know yeah. they just you yeah. know um, well, you can you can can them you can store them right they last a long time it just makes good sense. Um, you should be very proud. I mean, well, I know you are, but boy, what a what an achievement! What a what a wonderful thing! Oh, was, you know, is uh, the thing I was really <laughs> so proud of him for for uh, enthusiastically wanting to to be a part of it. He paid his own way. I mean, airfare wasn't cheap, and uh, each each participant had to pay their own airfare. And he had he has a job as a barista after school and on the weekends, and he's he paid his own way <laughs> well good, good good job pops You're, yeah uh, yeah or our mom <laughs> and mom and mom and mom absolutely but you should be proud of that that's that's quite an achievement for a young man yeah and you know i i'd, I'd recommend that to, to anybody and uh uh that if, if you can sure. do it it's, it is life-changing oh, and oh, I, I remember saying to him when he got back like, uh after about 48 hours on six different airplanes you know I said, would you do it again? And he'd say, in a heartbeat. You know, yeah. so the, yeah. the experiences are great. Blake, what, what can our listeners do to help? Well, we'd, we'd love for them to get involved however they see fit. We, I mean, we, we always need volunteers at our warehouse packing food and at our distributions. Uh, financial contributions, obviously, that's, how, that's, that's what makes us really run. So, you know, for every buck you give us, um, we're going to produce five meals, and that's quite a – Quite a turnaround, and uh, and just you know, be ambassadors of the organization. If, if hunger is one of the important things uh, that that causes that, that that are near and dear to your heart, you know, talk to folks about getting involved, being an ambassador to the organization. I mean, that that's we've been so blessed over the years with all the volunteers and all the donors, and, and I mean this from work being done in this community, not just by us. And so we're. We, we feel, you know, I, I feel blessed, we feel, and are blessed to have so many people that, that uh, support us. Are, are volunteers one-size-fits-all, or are there certain volunteer jobs that, because of the nature of the job, that you have trouble filling? Ah, boy, that's a tough question. Not necessarily. I mean, we, so, uh, you know... And it's not one size fits all. I'm going to assume that most volunteers want a fun activity that kind of lets them just kind of let their hair down and not mm-hmm. worry about something. So right. we have corporate groups and we have people that are working age that come uh, on a consistent basis, maybe once or twice a month, that just like to let go, have a good time, and know that they're contributing to something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. Then we have 
folks mostly that are retired uh, that do it for a number of reasons. So and I've had my share of conversations over the years. So some of them just, you know, want to want to hang out and do a fun activity with people that are like them, like they care about the community, that, that find this rewarding and, and care about taking care of our community. Mm-hmm. Others, others just find it social. I mean, they, you know, they may not have a lot of friends or family close, and by coming out here, they get to meet new people. And, again, you're talking to folks that have somewhat similar interests as you. And we have, we have just seen some of the greatest relationships form, particularly in our seniors. I mean, just really cool relationships. But no, no, not one size fits all. And but I do think that that every volunteer job that we have uh, is doable by by folks. And mm-hmm. you know, some are a little bit some are a little bit more labor intensive than others. But uh, but no, I, I I think it's I think folks find it very rewarding, and and they get to get out and be social. Yeah, I guess I was thinking. You know, you, sometimes you need. Uh, somebody that knows uh, electrical work or how to use a saw or, or things like that, but presumably not so much. Yeah. You know, over the years, Bob, we've grown to, to size where, I mean, in the, on the facility side, that doesn't really occur. And the old, in the old days, the old days that I love dearly, you know, we could get away with that. Now, you know, we are the size of our operation and just the scope of our work requires us to, it's tough to, to hire volunteers to do some of that work. Sure, it, it, sure. Most of the volunteer work now is specifically focused on program activity meant to help folks that are that are in need. Right. Very good. And you you distribute to what two hundred and some organizations? So about one hundred and sixty distribution points. We lost. You were right, but we lost some during COVID. We're trying mm-hmm. to build it up. We're averaging bringing on about three new agencies a month. Our goal is to get back to 100. Right now, about 160. And then we also have about 60 diaper uh, partnerships as well throughout wow. the entire county. Oh, yeah. It, uh, that, that's growing by leaps and bounds. Wow. Well, Blake, always always a joy to talk with you. Thanks thanks for all, all the great work you do. And uh, I sure hope you have 26 more years there because uh, we need you. Well, I do too, Bob. It's, it's a blessing. It's done more for me than I've done for it. And, and always thank you. Great to talk to you, and thank you so much for your support. Oh, thank you, Blake. God bless, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Take good care. Hey, you too. That's uh, Blake Young, the uh, president and uh, CEO of the uh, Sacramento Food Bank and Family Services. And, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you just constantly, they need need, uh, donations. They need uh, volunteers. Uh, To hear him say that... uh, you know, over the years, they average maybe maybe a hundred feeding one hundred and fifty thousand people a month, and now they're regularly at three hundred thousand. That's double. Just imagine uh, if you've ever seen the operation. You know, imagine uh, how, how big it's always been, and then to uh, take that and double it. It's just it's just mind boggling. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, too, because, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, to loaves and fishes, uh, uh, to Angela Hessel, the, the executive director there the other day. And she said the number one thing they need this time of year, uh, you might not guess it, or maybe you would, uh, bottled water. And, you know, bottled water is, there are a lot of places that sell it, you know, pretty 
pretty darn cheap, especially if you go, you know, to the warehouse type stores. The, but but a lot of a lot of the grocery stores, supermarkets have have uh, you know bottled water sales frequently, and uh, you know Costco, Sam's Club, places like that too. Uh, you can get an awful, and, and they say you know they'll they'll even uh, if you if you want to order it like uh, on Amazon or something and have it delivered, that's great. Or you can deliver it to them, but they they need bottled water, and uh, they need lots and lots and lots of bottled water when they when they're feeding a, a, a daytime meal, a lunchtime meal to you know seven hundred to a thousand people a day. Uh, you can imagine how much, uh, and then they're trying to give them stuff to take with them, uh, and they're dealing largely with the homeless population. You can imagine how much water is necessary, especially as uh, things heat up here uh, as we head on into uh, another uh, Sacramento Valley summer, uh, how much water they need. So uh, keep keep that in mind, too, but also... Uh, they can use volunteers. Uh, in fact, we've talked to two organizations today. Uh, the uh, uh, Rabbi Seth Castleman, the executive director of the Exodus Project, they need volunteers uh, to be mentors to people who are coming out of being incarcerated uh, to help them, you know, reconnect, if you will, uh, in the community, uh, to help with jobs, to help with uh, uh, housing. Uh, if, if you have, uh, maybe you, you have some rental homes uh, and you'd like to uh, not donate it, but, but just uh, to uh, donate, uh, to, to not donate, but to uh, uh, allow the Exodus Project to, to rent it from you uh, because they need, they need transitional housing. Uh, they need, if maybe, maybe uh, you have a, a job or two that you'd be willing to, to consider hiring somebody who has uh, a prison record. Uh, there are a lot of employers who are willing to do that. Uh, everybody has their, their needs and everybody has their concerns, but by the same token, um, uh, I, I know, uh, I know uh, one, one employer in town that, that he goes out of his way to, to help people get back on their feet by offering them jobs. And I'm, I'm sure he has his requirements and his uh, concerns and, and all those things. But uh, there, there, are a lot, there are a lot of things you can do. And you can volunteer, be a mentor. You can volunteer at Loaves and Fishes. You can volunteer at Sacramento Food Bank. Uh, you can donate to all those places. And if uh, simply a, a, a cash donation uh, is, you know, you say, well, it's just that's, that's too easy. I, well, it might be easy for some people. It might be difficult for some people, but uh, cash donations are are what make those organizations run. All of them, and all of them uh, can really use that as well. So uh, there, there's a lot, lot of ways we can uh, get involved in this uh, in this world that <laughs> where people really need help. Well, you know, World Youth Day is coming up. Uh, in uh, Lisbon, in Portugal, and I presume most of the people that are planning to go, uh, it's in August, have uh, uh, already made their arrangements, but there's also going to be a World Youth Day stateside here, sponsored by the Diocese of Sacramento, and it's, uh, it's a, a great uh, event 
which is going to take place up at uh, Trinity Pines Catholic Center up in Colfax. And uh, uh, if you're not attending World Youth Day in Lisbon, uh, you're invited to join World Youth Day stateside uh, for youth and young adults. The cost is just uh, $25 for participant. And uh, go to the diocesan website, scd.org, and... uh, uh, find a way to sign up, and you you'll have uh, and uh, Bishop Soto, who will be in uh, in Lisbon for World Youth Day, he uh, uh, always gives updates on that as well. So Youth Day stateside uh, is a is a great way to go, and very very um, a lot of, a lot of fun and a lot of uh, a way to participate in World Youth Day, even though you're not making the trip to Portugal. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless everyone. We'll talk with you again soon. I feel burning deep inside of me. I feel your spirit is moving.
And now 